surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am your host and I'm really looking forward to today's episode as kind of a part two to an earlier episode. So if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to the episode with Liz Sandos, which was episode 16, please take a second to go back and check out that episode. Um, We did that episode mainly focused on bulimia and Liz sharing her experience. And today we are actually joined by the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness. And this organization has been doing amazing things in relation to reducing stigma around eating disorders. And today we are going to have the founder and CEO of the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness, Joanna, come on and share a little bit about her story and also just kind of debunking some of these myths around eating disorders and also getting a little bit of a male's perspective. We weren't able to get uh, a man to come on the show to share his actual experience, but Joanna has worked with many men throughout the years and uh, has permission to share some of their stories with us. Also, please remember to check out the episode notes where we will link some resources and guides for you guys to check out whether eating disorders is something that you're struggling with or just want to learn more about. More resources will be linked in the episode descriptions. So with all that being said, let's uh, let's get this conversation started. Let's start talking about eating disorders. Welcome, Joanna, to the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, I'm really excited that you're here and I'm, you know, looking forward to talking about this in a little bit of a different way than than I did in the last episode and I think just having your um your expertise in this area is going to lend really well to helping teach people some different things about eating disorders that they may not have known. So, thank you for um, you know, being open to come on here and and share some of your story and your knowledge. Excellent, excellent. And I just want to take a quick moment just to thank you for your willingness to create a conversation around a topic that is so um, not generally talked about. I think that there's so much shame and stigma surrounding Mm -hmm. mental illness as a whole. Um, And I think that there's even more so surrounding eating disorders. So every time we have an opportunity like this one to have that conversation, it really um, starts to smash that stigma um, and give people an opportunity to talk about it and and really let them know that, number one, that it's okay to talk about it, but more than Mm -hmm. anything, that help is available and complete recovery is possible. So I think you're amazing for for giving me this opportunity. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you. That's very sweet. Um, Before we get into like what exactly eating disorders are and differentiating between them and um, all of that, I'm I'm curious to know you're the founder of uh, this alliance for eating disorder awareness. um, And I'm curious kind of how that came about, like maybe starting from the beginning of your story as to how you've got to this point where you're now a major advocate and doing amazing work with not only your organization, but also have written a book and um, just kind of like how you got here. Sure, sure. Um, so um, I actually um, spent over 10 years struggling with with various eating disorders. In fact, I tend to call myself um, a non-specific eating disorder person because you name it, I did it. Um, mm-hmm. And I probably um, made up some along the way too. Um, mm-hmm. But really to, to, to really start at the beginning, um, the one thing about eating disorders that not a lot of people know is that they're not a di- disorder of choice. Um, they're not a disorder of vanity, right? A lot of people think mm-hmm. that it's about looking a certain way or wanting to look like um, images we see um, on magazines or on TV or on social media. But actually, um, eating disorders are characterized as serious mental illness and they're yeah. psychiatric disorders. Um, and what we know about what contributes to the, the development of an eating disorder is actually um their biology, psychology, and 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 our environment. So mm-hmm. 
the reason why I bring that up is of all the contributing factors um, that lead to the development of an eating disorder, about 60% is genetics. So if you have a parent or a sibling of a parent that's had an eating disorder, you have a 12 times more likely chance to have an eating disorder yourself. So all to say, um, it, when I talk about my story, I have to actually talk about my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was one of seven children, three brothers, three sisters. Um, two out of three of her sisters actually struggled with eating disorders. Um, mm. And they actually lived in Europe. Um, and so it's not like I saw them all the time and it wasn't a learned behavior. It's really mm-hmm. an amazing example of, of genetics at play. Um, yeah. My dad has has one sister and she also struggled with an eating disorder. So as far as genetics, hmm. I was screwed, right? Yeah, um, yeah. well, and um, I love that you brought dad, up that they're in Europe because I know we ha- I have got questions um, from listeners of asking like, you know, well, what do you think about this being like more of a westernized issue? Um, But I'm I'm glad that you brought that up, that this was occurring over in Europe. You know, it does indeed happen other places as well. Absolutely. And in fact, um, just to sort of answer that really quickly, we actually see eating disorders in every country across the world, except for third world countries. Um, We don't really see it there, but everywhere else we do. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's pretty incredible to see um, incidence rates. Um, We see a lot of incidence rates in South America. We see a lot of incidence rates in Europe. Um, In Israel, for example, we're we're seeing a lot of incidence rates. So it's Mm -hmm. really something that that doesn't discriminate um, any yeah. country across the country and any any country across the world if you will so yeah and it may um, not be like specifically diagnosed as an eating disorder but at right. least we see the characteristics right. of it mm-hmm. exactly right exactly right so um and the, the other thing that I just wanted to share about my dad is he's actually a holocaust survivor which okay. um is really interesting because there's been a lot of research done on kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids of Holocaust survivors and taking a look at transgenerational trauma also and its effect Mm. on the development of eating disorders and substance use disorders. Um, So as far as genes goes, um, I was definitely, my my proverbial gun was definitely loaded. and so when I was born, when, they, when my mom and dad um, met in Paris, they moved over to the U.S. Um, and they really wanted to give me every opportunity that, that they never had. Um, my dad, because of the trauma that he went through as a child, was very distant. Um, he was very much all or nothing, black or white, um, struggled with perfectionism, um, mm-hmm. always expected perfectionism, um, and wasn't very warm and fuzzy. He's never given me a hug. He's never told me that he loves me. Um, and I'm not saying that that is to blame by any means, mm-hmm. but definitely contributed yeah. to, to my my personality development, right? Definitely. Um, so in addition to, for as long as I can remember, I struggled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and what we know um, is that anxiety is almost always a precursor to an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important for me to for, for me to share that it's not like, you know, when I was three years old, I was like, I'm anxious. Um, I was very shy. That's how it presented itself. Um, I was definitely um, a people pleaser, a perfectionist. Everything was all or nothing, black or white. Um, So definitely had the personality traits that you see in a lot of people with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last piece, the environment piece was I was a ballet dancer. So mm. I started dancing when I was three um, and very, very quickly knew that that was going to be my my career choice. I mean, I was dancing five days a week by the time I was seven and I was spending my summers in New York um, every summer when I was, when I was, I started when I was 10. Um, and I, there definitely was a lot of pressure on me to yeah. be that, you know, that next, that, that next big dance, the next big thing, if you will. Um and so the the proverbial trigger pull, if you will, um, was that when I was 11 and a half, um, I had just come back from spending a summer um, at a at an intensive um, you know summer program, and the director of the professional company um, came to our ballet class and told us that we had this amazing opportunity to be in a professional um, production of The Nutcracker, but before the audition, we all had to lose weight, mm. and. I have to say that they weren't really talking to me. 
Um, but I had that, you know, succeed at all costs that, yeah. that whatever they say to do, you do. And so I remember going home that night and first of all, not knowing at all how to lose weight, but more than anything, just telling my mom that I was going to go on a healthy food diet, right? That I was going to eat fruits mm. and vegetables. And as a parent, um, who doesn't want to hear the, that, that their child wants to eat healthfully, right? Especially mm-hmm. if they have a history of not eating very nu- nutritionally sound. Yeah. Um, so that's really how it started. And, you know, I have to tell you that people often think that my developing my eating disorder was a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't. It's not like I looked out the window and Sunny went on Beach, Florida and said, you know, it's beautiful here. I think I'm going to have anorexia nervosa today. Yeah. That's not at all what it, what it was. Is um, You know that saying, the path to hell is filled with good intentions? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really what it was for me. I thought that, you know, what I'm going to do is just eat a little better. I'm going to lose a little bit of weight. I'm going to audition. I'm going to get that heart. Mm-hmm. And so to really sort of fast forward through this is... Um, we had a lot of pressure through the next few months leading up to this audition and I auditioned. And unfortunately, um, to my dismay, I was the only one out of 15 girls that didn't get cast. Mm. And they, um, they pulled me aside and they said, you know, Joanna, the reason why you didn't get the part is not because you're not a good dancer. On the contrary, it's just that you look so young compared to everybody else. And that was really mm. the first time in my life that I had that warped game of telephone that Mm -hmm. a lot of times people with eating disorders will talk about. Like someone will say one thing and the way that it got interpreted to me was different, right? So what I heard was is you didn't try enough, you didn't Mm -hmm. lose enough weight. And I I made a commitment at that point to that I was going to try harder. Um, And again, it's not that I said I'm going to have an eating disorder. It was just that I I needed to succeed. So let me just start to restrict my food just a little bit and exercise Mm -hmm. just a little bit more. And that's really how the journey continued for me. Because I had that genetic predisposition and those personality traits and everything else, before I knew it, a simple diet turned into a Mm -hmm. 10-year bottle with with an almost lethal eating disorder. Yeah. Well, and also hearing from, you know, an authority figure that essentially yes. you weren't good enough after you had tried so hard and put everything into it. Um, I mean, that's certainly an environmental trigger to to uh, really turn on something like that, especially when you already have Absolutely. the genetic predisposition. Um So I want you guys to know that on the podcast, it's really me talking, sharing my true opinions. It's important for me to actually partner with wholesome and trustworthy brands. I'm very particular about my brands. When we talk about our partners, you should know that I use the products personally and actually enjoy them. If I didn't enjoy them, I would not share them with you all. (laughs) So I mean, we're always talking about like healthy habits, things that we can do to stay healthy, not only mentally, but also physically. And one thing I always get comments about like on my Instagram are about my skin and like what I use for my skin. Um, One of the things that I've actually really enjoyed using lately is BioClarity. And one of the reasons I actually really like using them is because it's this like new, clean, green skincare, you know, and like, I feel like a lot of brands promote themselves like they're really clean, but then they actually don't have clean ingredients in them. So I was like, let me check this brand out. And they're actually a hundred percent vegan. They're cruelty free. And one of the ingredients that they use is, uh, it's called Flora Lux. It's actually made from chlorophyll. So literally plant derived. Since using it, I feel like my skin actually feels moisturized now. Like I've struggled with my skin feeling a little bit dry at times, you know, so like recovering from winter and using the Skin Smooth Moisturizer with BioClarity has like actually helped my skin just feel really soft and like almost like I have like a nice dewy glow to my skin. So to get this, I've been using the essentials routine, which is typically for dry or normal skin. And it's really only three steps. You cleanse, restore, and hydrate. It's hydrating, but like also lightweight. So it's really good for spring or summertime. It's helped reduce some of the redness like around my nose and reduce your pore size and even like actually even out your skin tone, which I also struggle with around like my nose area. BioClarity is delivered straight to you and is an easy to use three-step skincare routine that's 100% vegan plus gluten and cruelty-free. It doesn't get much better than that. 
You guys can get started on healthier habits with your skincare. Just go to bioclarity.com. My listeners will get their first month for 50% off a routine that you pick plus free shipping. And it comes with a 100% risk-free money-back guarantee, but you need to enter my code TAYLOR. That's bioclarity.com and enter my code TAYLOR. Absolutely. And especially um, with a lot of people with eating disorders, definitely with me, you know, like anything less than an A is not okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in my eyes, I was, I had failed and that did not feel right to me at all. I, I, I it wasn't something that I, I sort of embraced at all. Um, and so what's really important for me to share um, about my story is that, yeah, I did struggle with anorexia nervosa, um, you know, and there's so many mistruths surrounding eating disorders. Um, Mm -hmm. First and foremost being that eating disorders only affect females, right? Um, That they only affect Caucasian women at that and young women at that. Um, And the truth of the matter is, is that eating disorders do not discriminate between age, genders, race, class, um, sexual orientation, body shape and size. I -hmm. mean, on the whole, the majority of people that struggle with eating disorders are of normative or in larger size bodies. Mm-hmm. And typically, you can't really tell that someone has an eating disorder. And yet, I actually fit the criterion for what you would think someone with, with specifically anorexia nervosa would look like. Um, and even with that, I still didn't get diagnosed with an eating disorder. And mm. so that has re- that was really started, started to fuel my desire um, and really lit the path to what I would one day do at the Alliance is to educate our primary care providers on really how to recognize eating disorders and where to refer. Um, mm-hmm. Throughout my story, I came really close to losing my battle. Um, I was hospitalized on several occasions mm-hmm. um, and my my eating disorder vacillated between anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. Um, I ultimately, um, after high school, I danced professionally with a ballet company and I had to stop dancing because of my eating disorder um, because it, mm-hmm. it, it really, um, we tried everything, right, except for treatment of course like because that because nobody intervened Mm -hmm. um and it was really when um I started to to think about who I was because you know from the age of three years old my identity was Joanna the ballet dancer that's all I ever wanted to do um and when that identity got taken away even though my eating disorder was never my identity it sort of felt like it was Mm -hmm. um so I made a, a I made the decision that one day if I ever got better, I would do everything in my power to have a conversation about it because nobody was talking about it. I mean, this was around the same time, um, and it's going to date me a little bit, but <laughs> that the show Growing Pains was on TV and Tracy Gold was, was one of the main characters, and she actually was struggling with anorexia nervosa, and she actually had to leave the show because mm. of her eating disorder. Um, and so I really had no impetus that complete recovery was possible. Um, Mm -hmm. I really thought that I would always be struggling with it. And yeah, there may have been other people out there that could recover, but not me. I'm the exception Mm -hmm. to the rule. I didn't deserve to recover all of that negative stuff that people talk about. Um, And so I I made a decision that if I ever did get better, I would do something. So I went to the local university um, and I enrolled in, in their psychology program. And um, I started using school the same way that I use my eating disorder. Because we know that that eating disorders are maladaptive coping mechanisms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're yeah. a way to escape, avoid, numb, whatever. Yeah. And I actually started using school in that same manner. And what I mean by that is I took eight classes a semester, which was dumb. I will say that. <laughs> um, but if I was always engaged in school and thinking, I never had to think about my depression, my anxiety, my trauma, Mm -hmm. like any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And truly, it wasn't until my last semester of undergrad, I was getting ready to apply um, to PhD programs because I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist that specialized in treating eating disorders. And I have to be honest, (laughs) that would not be good at all. but I, I applied and I had this moment, I have to be honest, and this was in a period that I was heavily engaging in my cheating disorder where I would, you know, restrict a day that would lead me up up to fail with a binge, right? And I would binge all night and I would have such shame and such um, 
such hatred for myself. Um, and yet I would just set myself up for the next day, right? To restrict mm-hmm. again and to binge again. But I had this moment that honestly, my fear of changing was a little bit less and my desire to see what life would be like without my eating disorder. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I can't say that it was my my rock bottom because I don't think there necessarily is rock bottom with eating disorders. But I had this glimmer of, I have to try, I have to see. Um, and so I called up my parents and I shared with them that I really needed help. And uh, we found a therapist locally. And unfortunately, that therapist didn't specialize in eating disorders. Um, Mm. And I went to go see her. um, And, you know, she was so lovely. And she looked at me and she was very, very praising the fact that I finally was getting help. And then she said the thing that almost derailed my path. She said, you know, Joanne, I'm really happy that you're here. However, you need to know that that you are always going to struggle with an eating disorder sort of that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic mentality. Mm -hmm. And I understood where she was coming from. And yet in that moment, what I needed her to do is I needed her to say, it gets better. Yeah. I think we all need help, right? Like help. Yeah. Yeah. That it almost felt like her basically saying, no, there's no point in you being here because this is just something that's always going to exist as opposed to instilling some hope in you that you needed at that low point. Exactly. You, you just hit the, 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 um, the, 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 the nail on the head. I just really want to share something that's been on my mind lately and food is like really important for me. Making sure that like I'm eating healthy, making sure that like I feel like I'm actually feeding my body good things is super important to me. And so to keep in line with that, I've been using Sunbasket and Sunbasket is honestly my favorite um, like at-home delivery uh, meal kit that I've ever used because each time I get it, it actually feels like it's fresh. It feels like it's organic. And the creativity behind the meals honestly always blows me away. I've never actually made a like veggie burger before. I've like had them out at restaurants before, but never like felt confident that I could actually make one myself. And Last week, I actually made, there was like a black bean quinoa burger, which I mean, quinoa and black beans, great protein to add. Um, there was a vegan like cheese sauce, cheese sauce that was really good um, and just kind of like took me outside of my comfort zone in terms of like what I was going to be making for myself. But that's one of the things I love about it is like Sunbasket makes it just so easy and convenient to actually cook healthy, delicious meals at home. Um And it just, it all like paired together super well. And then I actually get to keep like, there's a whole recipe book. So even if I wanted to like make other meals, I could go out and get those ingredients. And you honestly just have so many options that you can pick from. You can pick from 18 weekly recipes. So you're bound to find at least one thing that you like. I have trouble like picking which one I want because they're just, they all look so freaking good. And they actually work with like the best farms and suppliers to actually bring you fresh organic produce and it's responsibly raised meats. Like I'm very picky about where I actually eat my meats from, but with Sun Basket, I'm actually like, I feel comfortable eating the meat that they send me. And it's always actually like the best portions. Like I'll order a meal for two for like myself and it's like actually like four meals for me. <laughs> so usually I have like some good leftovers and they they provide you with reliable nutrition information. And most of the meals you can whip up like within 30 minutes. You guys should really check out Sun Basket. I've honestly really enjoyed using them. Long-term customer, amazing quality, easy, creative, just good food. You guys can go to sunbasket.com slash Taylor today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's a good deal. (laughs) That's sunbasket.com slash Taylor for $35 off. sunbasket.com slash Taylor. Let's get back to the show. So, of course, I left that appointment thinking, you know, what the hell? And so I continued to act out in my in my eating disorder. And then I had that moment of, all right, and you try this again. And I finally found a clinician that specialized in eating disorders. And she immediately wanted me to go into a higher level of care. And unfortunately, because of what managed care was and 
still unfortunately currently is. Um, and the fact that my parents didn't have the financial resources to pay out of pocket mm-hmm. for me to, to go to treatment, um, we sort of piecemealed my, my treatment. So I did um, some um, IOP, which is intensive outpatient yeah. programming, um, some, some mm-hmm. partial hospitalization programs. Um, and I have to be honest with you that I approached my recovery the same way that I approached my eating disorder, black or white, all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And recovery from an eating disorder is not linear, right? I think we have this perception that, all right, well, I'll just start eating healthfully again and I won't have these mm-hmm. huge fears around body shape and size. I won't have, you know, the hatred towards my body. It'll be fine. And the journey to recovery is one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back. Um, you will have trips and falls along the way because it's not an abstinence-based recovery. Yeah. You can't just abstain from your drug of choice, if you will, um, like you can with alcohol and drugs. And I'm not at all saying that it's, it's harder or easier. It's mm-hmm. just a different recovery journey. Um, yeah, you need so food to survive. Will, <laughs> correct. And so you will have trip-ups on your journey. Mm-hmm. But what I really had to learn is, when I tripped and fell, it didn't give me permission to completely act out in my eating disorder, that I just had to pick myself up, dust myself off, mm-hmm. and keep on moving forward. And I will tell you that my recovery was the hardest thing I ever did. It was messy. It was painful. Um, and it was the best thing that I ever did because it brought me to a place where I, I, I have been and I am today, which is almost 18 and a half years recovered from my eating disorder. And I am um, no longer entrenched in that horrific battle, struggle, um, intense, um, you know, negative dark place that I was for so long with my eating disorder. And so once I found solid recovery um, with the approval of my team, I will say that um, I decided to put off graduate school for a year and move back home and uh, found the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness. And um, almost 18 years later, I, uh, I'm i very honored and humbled to say that um, we have now grown into a national nonprofit organization um, that does really, really cool stuff across the country. Yeah. Well, I'm so, I mean, thank you for, for sharing all of that and, and kind of how your story is, has led you here. Um, you know, I think that it's amazing that you've been able to, um, you know, develop this organization and, and really helping make a difference in people's lives. I mean, to go Thank through you. everything and, and to be kind of a, um, example of, of hope of recovery, um, that that's so important then to carry on almost that like sense of responsibility to then also help others, um, so I just want to thank, thank you. you that for, means a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's 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 um, it puts you in a in a position of really having to be vulnerable and and open with yourself, and I think that can be really hard, especially if you mm-hmm. haven't done that work. And even with yep. doing that work, it's kind of it's it's reliving it in in different ways. Um, and I think. Yes. There's some, you know, kind of going back to what that first therapist had said to you of like, this is something you're always going to struggle with. Um, And we talked about that concept a little bit in the episode with Liz, but where, you know, because food is something that's always going to be in your life and Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, first of all, eating disorders aren't always about the food either. um, But but that, you know, that it's kind of a work in progress and maybe something that will come up in your life, even even when you have reached recovery or even when you have reached a solid place. And like you said, it's it can be three steps forward, two steps back. Um, mm-hmm. And just, I think, having that compassion for yourself and understanding that like, you know, it's okay. I had a little bit of slip up, but that doesn't mean that I just get to go, you know, balls to the wall and just be like, well, screw it. You got <laughs> um, it. You but, got it. Absolutely. Yeah. And just like you continuing know, and, and to when- have that hope. Yeah. And one thing that, that, you know, people ask me all the time, um, and, and I'm so happy that you actually just, just brought that up is, you know, well, does that mean that you never have a bad body image day? And I sort of look at them and I go, of course I have bad body image days. I mean, I'm human. Mm-hmm. You know, you recover, you recover to life, not, not utopia. And I know plenty of people that have never experienced eating disorders that are actually on really good terms with their body and feel pretty comfortable with their body that still have negative body image days, right? So yeah. not everybody loves the way they look. 
you know, 365 days a year, um, the way that I cope with it is different. So, um, and that's really what I think my, my, my recovery did is, you know, before when I would wake up and I would have a, a negative body image day or I would hate the reflection in the mirror, I couldn't do life. I would either punish myself for what I thought I looked like or what I may have looked like. Um, mm-hmm. I would have probably gone back to bed. I couldn't function effectively in my everyday day-to-day life. Um, I couldn't do life pretty much. Mm-hmm. Now when I wake up and I have a bad body image day, um, uh, you know, I, I maybe put on a more comfortable pair of pants and mm-hmm. I may not look in the mirror as much, but I still, you know, get dressed and go to work and I still, I still work through it. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that there's still some truth though that, that I have to be aware of. Like I will never be able to go on a diet again. Um, yeah. and I know that sounds really silly, but you know, just like how an alcoholic can't just have one drink for mm-hmm. me, a diet could absolutely be that environmental trigger pull to cause yeah. the, you know, the, the genetics to fire again. Um, and so mm-hmm. I have to be very aware. I have to also be very aware that, you know, um, a very normative reaction to extreme stress is either you lose your appetite or you yeah. run towards food. And mm-hmm. historically I lose my appetite and I will tell you that I have to sort of go back to basics and make myself accountable either to myself or with people that are very close to me to say, you need to sit down and eat, even if you mm-hmm. feel sick, because I don't have the luxury to play around with food. Um, yeah. Cause I know how lucky I am to be where I am. I mean, mm-hmm. because being in this work, surrounded by this work day in and day out, I, I know the fact that, you know, eating disorders have this, the highest mortality rate of all psychiatric disorders. It's estimated that every 62 minutes, someone dies directly because of, of their, their eating disorders. So mm-hmm. I know that in my head. And I also know how, how grateful I am to be where I am. And I don't take that for granted, not even for a minute, because the yeah. gifts that I've received in my recovery, I mean, have been, have given, have given back tenfold to, to all the work that I put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, that makes me so happy to hear that because you just sound so empowered and confident in yourself. Thank you. And I love I, that. I, you know what? <laughs> Thank you. It's definitely been a journey, if you will. You know, um, some days, you know, I sort of go into that old, old adage, you know, fake it till you make it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've also have been given these extraordinary um, opportunities through through my work, um, I've met the most incredible people that I've had the gift of walking next to on their journeys to recovery. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I've gotten letters and cards, um, you know, from people that, you know, are now um, graduated from, from high school or college or, you know, have become doctors or lawyers, um, have, beco- have you know, they've they, they gotten married, they've had children. Um, and I have to say that that is that is beyond any monetary gift you could ever get. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen it with people that you've worked with and, yeah. and, you know, it's just incredible. And, um, you know, I've been able to, you know, been part of, you know, helping to pass monumental legislation and having meetings at the mm-hmm. white house and meeting, you know, meeting with so many mem- members of Congress and Senate. And, you know, sometimes I sort of look at around the room and I feel like that, that highlights magazine, like what doesn't belong. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and to realize that, you know, that with, with recovery comes so many gifts and truthfully um, the biggest gift that I've ever been given through my recovery is for, um, 20 years, I was told um, that my eating disorder caused me not to have children. And mm-hmm. I have to admit that for the longest time, I think I was okay with it because of really two reasons. One being that I was so afraid that, you know, I did have these genetics and that I would be so fearful to ever have a child that would have an eating disorder because I know how yeah. horrid it was struggling. But, you know, for so long, I was so sick in my eating disorder that I didn't I was so scared of the whole pregnancy process and then, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I have to raise a child. Um, And, you know, it was something that I was very direct with, with my husband and, you know, something that we were both okay with that we were, you know, we were very happy together. And about two and a half years ago, out of nowhere, I found out I was pregnant and Mm. it blew my mind because I will, I will share with you that for me, it showed me two things. One is that the journey to recovery never ends. 
that, mm-hmm. that there's always another chapter, but that my body had actually healed enough yeah. um, to, to grow this child. And I ended up having a little girl, which scared me to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's 21 months old and she is the love of my life. And every mm-hmm. time I look into her eyes, I'm reminded of how worth it recovery was and how awesome it is that I lived to see this and how grateful I am um, to have done the work that I did. Um, so I bring that up because I know that you have so many people that, that, that listen to your podcast and that, let's face it, some of them might be struggling and they feel like they're alone. They feel like nobody can understand them. They feel like they're the exception to the rule. And you're not the exception to the rule that there is help. There is hope. Recovery is possible. Um, I know it's hard. I know it sucks. Um, mm-hmm. And I've never met a single person throughout all of my travels that have recovered. And there's a lot of us out there um, that say it wasn't worth it because recovery is absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. You're going to make me cry. You're making me tear up over here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I just, I, I mean every word because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I run, um, one of the things that, that the Alliance does is we host, um, free weekly clinician led support groups. Um, and we mm-hmm. have a lot of them in South Florida, but we're growing them to, um, 10 different cities across the country. And we hope, you know, with our strategic, um, plans to grow them all over the country because we believe that everybody should have access to support. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, um, I have the, the, the gift to co-facilitate a group with, with a psychologist. Um, and for me, I, I, I sit in these rooms on Monday night and I look around and I am given such a gift to sit with the strongest people I have ever met. Um, mm-hmm. They're brilliant. They're amazing. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they give the most, and I'm sure you've seen this with the work you've done, is they can give the most amazing feedback and they're so introspective and they know all the tools. Mm-hmm. And yet when it's time to turn the mirror on them, they just, they, they feel like X, Y, and Z. They don't deserve it. They can't do it. And mm-hmm. my big thing is, is that, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Like, tell that, excuse my language, but shitty committee in between mm-hmm. your ears that you do deserve it. You absolutely can do it and that yeah. it is possible. I have never heard that, the shitty committee between your ears. I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's so true, right? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's a reminder that to not always believe everything that, you know, your your thoughts are saying and that you kind of separating yourself from your thoughts, um, that you're the observer of your thoughts. So true. Uh, so let's be real for a second. I mean, going to the doctor sometimes is really frustrating and, you know, you're waiting there for a long time. You're like, then you have to find the time to make an appointment and just like getting lab testing done is, it feels almost impossible these days. Um, it's really tedious and honestly very expensive and ain't nobody, ain't nobody got money for that. <laughs> um, but now you can actually complete your testing from the comfort of your home thanks to Everlywell. Everlywell is an at-home based health testing company and they provide provide a variety of tests from food sensitivity to metabolism to thyroid test to really like actually help you get better in touch with what your body and to let you know like where to go in terms of your eating or in terms of your diet. And the tests are private, they're simple, and they're all actually processed through certified labs. So it's trustworthy information. All you have to do is head to everlywell.com. You choose which test you want to take. I picked the food sensitivity because I really want to get more in touch with you know, how my body is actually reacting to the foods I'm eating. And then I can make, you know, certain changes to my diet from there because diet's very, very important to me. Um, But it's shipped straight to your door and you just take your sample. It's fairly easy for the food sensitivity. It's just like you prick your finger and then you let the blood drop into the little holes and then you send it off and you get it back uh, within just five days. You get your results back online. So it's super easy to navigate. Um, Everlywell really just takes the guesswork out of lab testing and they actually put the power into your hands to complete all the different kinds of important health tests um, that you just actually get to take from home. So no more sitting and waiting rooms for hours. You guys should head to everlywell.com and use code TAYLOR to take 15% off of your first order. Again, head to everlywell.com and use offer code TAYLOR for 15% off your first order. Take control of your health today with Everly Wells at home health tests and get to know you. But now let's let's get back to the show. 
One thing that I want to kind of like rewind slightly on um, is kind of really talking about what binge eating disorder looks like. Um, You you mentioned it a little bit like in in college where you were kind of restricting and then uh, purging a lot or sorry, binging a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm curious like what we got a email from someone um, that basically was asking um, how do you like distinguish between actually having um, like a binge eating disorder versus just like mm-hmm. you were PMSing and so you really just needed to eat sure. a lot more food. Um, sure. And what, what I guess, how binge eating disorder looks different from the other eating disorders like bulimia or sure. anorexia. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm so happy. Thank you so much for for asking that that question. So, binge eating disorder um, became its its own eating disorder mm-hmm. um, in in 2013 when the the DSM five um, was mm-hmm. was released. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what binge eating disorder is is compl- is 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 binge eating without the compensatory behavior of purging. So there is no purging because if it, if there is binging and purging, that would be like what you said, it would be diagnosed yeah. as bulimia nervosa. Mm-hmm. Um, so binge eating disorder is actually the most common eating disorder out there. Yeah. It is estimated that there are more people struggling with binge eating disorder than anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa mm-hmm. combined times two. Yeah. So it's Which very is why I'm like, people need to know about society. this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that but because of the fact there's so much weight stigma and weight shaming in this country and we have mm-hmm. this this crazy war on obesity, right? There's a lot of shaming and, and stigmatizing going on that people think, well, if I shame someone, then maybe that'll motivate them to lose weight. But mm-hmm. if you think about it, all it all all it's actually doing is perpetuating this this binging cycle because Eating disorders, like I said before, are maladaptive coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the the cornerstone of binge eating disorder is this idea of loss of control over food. So, yeah. episodes of binging where you're eating more rapidly than than, than normal. You're um, eating to numb, to stuff, to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, you're eating larger amounts than 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 you would typically eat, um, and then having. Um, um, getting to the point of feeling um, discomfort from the amount that that, that you've eaten, um, mm-hmm. and you need to do this for once a week for three months. So that's mm-hmm. really where where the, the diagnostic comes in. Um, and really, to answer your question, when you when you can't do life effectively, that's when it goes into the realm of a disorder compared yeah. to, oh, it's Thanksgiving, you know, I'm going to overindulge, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's what happens in this country, right? Yeah. Um, so. And, and I, that's why I, I think it you, becomes a little bit of a slippery slope because we see those yeah. things within our society where that's totally fine, you know, eat everything on Thanksgiving until you right. feel disgusting and that's just what you do. And then, yeah. you know, in other ways where it's like, uh, you know, how like self-care has become a little bit glamorized and treating yourself mm-hmm. has become very popularized in, in ways that actually can be very unhealthy for yourself. But, you know, where it's like, you oh yeah, it. I'm going to treat myself with this whole tub of ice cream and just whatever else I right. want to eat today because you know what? It was a hard day, but you're right. It is, right. it's a maladaptive coping mechanism and that's, it. it's, it's trying to take control over your eating. Exactly, exactly. And and this and this feeling that, that, that you don't have control over your mm-hmm. eating and you're you know, that, that that you're that you're numbing to numb or stuff. And and I think that I, I think you're so right, is that, you know, I think our society sort of really sets us up because if you think about how often we reinforce with, with food, right? Um, mm-hmm. because it's really a, such um an accessible drug of choice, right? Like I remember, I don't know about you, but when I started riding a bike and of course, like in my perfectionistic brain, I thought I would hop on the bike and I would ride the bike. We all know mm-hmm. that that's really not what happened at all. Yeah. I fell down on the a bike and I, I fell down. Yeah. And I skinned my knees really bad. And my mom came out and being her loving, nurturing self, she cleaned up my knees and she handed me a cookie. And she was like, here, sweetheart, this will make you feel good. Mm-hmm. And so if we equate that, you know, well, if a cookie makes my, my skin needs feel good, what is a box of cookies going to do for my broken heart or my anxiety yeah. or my depression? Um, so we really have to watch um, 
and this whole idea of, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a, in a home that's very much prescribed to the clean the plate club, right? Like mm-hmm. you are not supposed to listen to your hunger and fullness cues. You have to eat because it's in front of you. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of messages. And then this idea that, you know, that you can tell if you, you can tell that if you're unhealthy by your body, body size. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is we equate with, you know, being thin is healthy being of, of, of a larger body is, is unhealthy when it's really not true. Um, there's a lot of people that I know that, that might, might be, might be, might live or experience life in a larger body that factually are very, very healthy. They have a good heart. They have, you know, good bones. They have all of that. Um, and I think that, that there's this such a huge war on obesity that mm-hmm. really is shame-based that it's yeah. actually counterintuitive, right? That's really mm-hmm. having so much effect. So, you know, I think that um, if you find yourself feeling that, that that you are, that you have this loss of control over, over eating, um, I would definitely, you know, look into it because there is help. Um, you know, therapy is really helpful with learning um, other tools that, 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 that you can go to besides going, going to the food because, mm-hmm. You know, you deserve to to live your life in recovery. You really, really do. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe recognizing that, like, the food has become your way of coping, and the food has yep, become absolutely. like your way of trying to have control um, over something in your life, and that by going to therapy, you can learn other coping skills and other ways um, to deal with sometimes the really shitty things that life throws at us. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I think you said it so eloquently before. Is that is that eating disorder is not about the food. And that sort of trips people up a lot. They're like, but what do you mean it's not about the food? But it's not about the food. It's really like what you would talk about the the tip of the iceberg, if you will, right? Like mm-hmm. if you really were to look under the water, you would see that it's about the depression, the anxiety, mm-hmm. the trauma, um, the what, you know, possibly like a personality disorder. Um, yeah. You know, we know we know that um, that individuals that are struggling with eating disorder, about half of them have a co-occurrence of substance mm-hmm. use disorders. Like so yeah. it could be about so many other things. And mm-hmm. yet if you only focus on the food, you're going to keep on coming back back around to it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like you said earlier, that anxiety is typically a precursor. And I mean, when I have mm-hmm. worked with uh, clients who are struggling with eating disorders, it has been in addition to or co-occurring with a substance abuse disorder as well and depression. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think the sooner that you do seek help, that, you a- that you're able to kind of peel back some of these layers and perhaps reduce the likelihood of, you know, having multiple different disorders come up and, and kind of untangling all of that. Um, but it's also, it's a difficult process, but it's also a beautiful process to go through because like you said, there is hope and there is a different life on the other end of that. Um, and I want to take a second to answer um, another letter before I... I want to ask about some some male eating disorder stuff. But um, before sure. that, there's a letter that we got. Um, and she said that she wanted to message me because she actually just got a message from her good friend telling her that she has bulimia. She was off guard mm-hmm. and didn't know what to, ex- did not expect that from her at all. Uh, she says, I know I should treat her normally, but now I feel like I can't talk about food or making plans to go out to eat. I feel that I have to be super careful when being with her and what I can and cannot say. What would you recommend? And also, how can I help her without feeling like I'm one of her doctors or her mom? So such a good question. I'm so happy. I'm so, so happy that um, that someone reached out to you and, and asked this. Mm-hmm. Um, so first and foremost, um, you are not supposed. You are not supposed to be her mom. You're not supposed to be her therapist. Like yep. my, I, I would, I would definitely say is number one is find out if if she is getting um, getting um, professional help for her eating mm-hmm. disorder. I think that's really, really important. Um, I have to sort of preface um, what I'm about to say with, um, you know, I've never. I've never met anybody that has successfully recovered from their eating disorder without with, without professional intervention. I yeah. have people, I've seen people that have, you know, perhaps, you know, abstained from certain behaviors, but a lot of that, mm-hmm. that thought process is still there. Um, yeah. Just how we would never expect someone with diabetes to will, will their, mm-hmm. their blood sugar to, to normal. Yeah. We can't expect people with, with mental illness just because it's above the neck to be able to fix it on their mm-hmm. own. So, um, yeah. And I think I it's... Hide. Go ahead. I think it's uh, important as well that that's kind of your first 
question to consider yeah. because it then also is helping reduce any kind of stigma or shaming or judgment yeah. upon actually receiving that professional help where, you know, if you're that friend and you've just told your friend that you're struggling with this and they just come and they're like, oh, well, you know, are, have you found someone to see yet? Like, do you want, do you need help yeah. like finding someone to see? Like that's such a, I mean, if I put myself in that position, I would be like, damn, that, that is my good friend. Like they're really looking out yeah. for me here. And I don't feel, I wouldn't feel shameful or, or guilty about saying, yeah, I actually already have, or I don't know, I'm a little bit scared um, yeah. that you're already kind of helping offer that support just by even asking that first question of, are you getting help yet? Absolutely. And then like the, 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 the follow-up questions that, that, that I would say, or, or actually not even so much questions, but what I would say is the entire time I struggled with my eating disorder, I will be completely honest with you that people always sort of told me what they thought I needed. So, oh, you should mm-hmm. do this, or you should do that, or, or, or you need to do this. What I really wanted someone to say to me is, I am so sorry you're going through this, and I can mm-hmm. only imagine how difficult it is. I love you, and I care about you, and I'm here to support you. And I can't even begin to express how far that will go. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sort of circling back to your point is, what can I do to support you? Um, have you found someone who, who works with mm-hmm. eating disorders? You know, I, I, I was listening um, to this podcast, and I heard that there's this organization, or I went online, and I Googled, and I found, found that there's this really great website that I can go to, and I can connect to people with eating yeah. disorders. Can I help you do that? Are you afraid of going to your first session? Like, do you need a ride? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to go with you? And if they don't, they don't um, live live closely um, or, or locally, you know, like, do you want to talk when you're walking to, to the appointment? Um, do you want to debrief when you get out? What can I do to support you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's huge because people with eating disorders so often will say to me, um, I feel like I'm not being seen or heard. And when you go, go out of your way to say, I hear you and I see you and I support you, that means the world. And yeah. to know also that, um, to, to reiterate, that complete recovery from an eating disorder is possible. I will mm-hmm. tell you, um, my, what, my my best friend at 32 was diagnosed with, with pretty aggressive breast cancer. And I remember being there in that moment when she got that call. And even though we were both scared, I heard definitely more than me, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to validate that. We also knew that that so many people that are diagnosed with breast cancer go into full remission and they, they live healthfully ever after, basically. And that's because there's so many amazing true survivor stories out there from breast cancer. And I feel like there's not that many for eating disorders. So by mm-hmm. going through and saying, I'm so sorry that this is happening to you and I'm, I'm here to support you and I know that, that that recovery is possible, that you can absolutely do this and that I will mm-hmm. be there in whatever capacity you need me to be. And I just really want to acknowledge um, that, that the person who reached out and just say, thank you for being such a good friend. Um, yeah. She or he or they are very, very lucky to have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the concerns of like, can I talk about food? Can I not talk about food? What can I say? What don't I say? you know, along with asking those questions of like, what can I do to help? Um, and just being very honest and saying, you know, I don't, I I haven't had experience with this before. And so I'm not sure what the best way is for me to help you. Like, does it make you uncomfortable if I talk about food? Um, and, and asking those questions of like, um, what, you know, what do you feel like is, is a, is a trigger if I talk about like, are there certain things that, you know, you feel more comfortable doing over others when we hang out? Um, and you're already on the path of being a great friend by even just sending this email and and trying to learn and trying to figure out how you can help her. So I think. Exactly. Exactly. And just remember too, I mean, the the last thing I just sort of want to jump in there is that your job is not to be food police. Um, your, your job is to be a friend. So I think that if you take all the feedback you just gave and and keep that in mind and just know too, that it's really scary. And I just want to acknowledge that, um, um, and that, that just remember that people absolutely recover. So keep that, keep that in your heart too. Yeah. Um, I think the other piece that we didn't really touch on in my last episode um, with Liz was 
kind of the the, the male experience in this. Mm-hmm. And sure. you're not a male, but you've worked with this a lot. And the clients that I've yeah. actually worked with have been female um, and have identified mm-hmm. as female. So um, mm-hmm. I'm curious for you, for you to kind of share a little bit of, of your knowledge with the experiences uh, that uh, men that you've worked with have had with eating disorders and and if there's if it's you know just the same thing and sure. uh, just kind sure, of what their absolutely. experience has been yeah and 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 thank you again for bringing this topic to light I love that that, that you brought up binge eating disorder males because I think they're, they're they're two subcategories that sort of always get overlooked um, unfairly mm-hmm. so um, actually believe it or not when it comes to anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa one in every four individuals that, that struggle with those are actually males so we're talking about twenty five percent and when yeah. it comes to binge eating disorder upwards of forty percent of individuals with binge eating disorder are male now. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we've talked about the fact that there is so much shame and stigma surrounding eating disorders as a whole. And the fact that they are known in our society as, as pretty much female-based illnesses, yeah. I think that, that that adds that other layer too of, oh my God, I have a female illness at that, right? Exactly. Um, so I think it makes it even more difficult than, mm-hmm. than even with, with, with a female um, or someone who's identifying as female to get, to get help yeah. and support. There's like that extra um, stigma. And in addition to the fact yeah. that men are just like less likely to report or seek help related to any kind of uh, mental health issues. You got it. You got yeah. it. Absolutely. And I would actually go as far as physical health too. I'm definitely in the terms of my husband at least. You know, I <laughs> yes. will say that. Um, but, you know, so... Um, oftentimes they, they, they will present or they, they will look a little bit different. So for example, with males, the, the perceived body type or that, that hope for body type will largely be a little bit more muscular than, than with females. It's going to be, um, you know, the perceived or the wanted body image is, is, is really thinner, if you will. Um, you definitely see, um, males engage with, with restricting, with binging and purging, um, definitely yeah. with that, that binge eating. Um, but you also see, um, you also see a lot of um, body dysmorphic disorder with, with males mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it's primarily seen through muscle dysmorphia, which historically was actually called um, bigorexia. So it's sort hmm. of like, I mean, I think we've all heard that, you know, um, individuals that struggle with anorexia nervosa, when they look in that in that mirror, they have that funhouse mirror, right? They look yeah. or the image that, that they see is somebody that's a lot larger. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with muscle dysmorphia, um, you see it where individuals will look in the mirror and what they see is someone who's smaller than they actually yeah. are. So you see mm-hmm. muscle dysmorphia in in guys that um, might go to the gym that are bodybuilders um, that might have been very small and underdeveloped as kids. Um, mm-hmm. And when they look in the mirror, they even though they've gotten a lot more muscular, they see themselves as, as very small and underdeveloped. Um, yeah. And so, and I will tell you, I've worked with I've actually worked with several males that have struggled with with anorexia nervosa, and I will tell you this one one amazing um, young man, and, and that's what what he went he was he identified as male. Um, he was struggling with with anorexia nervosa, and one day he came to one of our support groups because we have um, we have all of our um, majority of our support groups are all genders and. He showed up and he was extremely underweight. Um, he was gray. Um, and I was really, really concerned for, for his well-being. And so um, because I had a release with a therapist, I called the therapist. And together we decided that we needed to send him to the ER. Um, mm. And because, you know, less than 20% of medical residency programs um, even offer eating disorders as an elective, mm. oftentimes our primary care providers are not, giving ac- are not given access to learn anything about eating yeah. disorders. Um, so I called the charge nurse at the ER. I shared what was going on um, and he went. And unfortunately, um, because he was male, I think, mm-hmm. um, and um, because I'm assuming that, that that the attending didn't really have education surrounding eating disorders, they just did a drug screen on him because they just mm-hmm. assumed that, you know, he was a heroin addict. And mm-hmm. when his, his drug screen came back clean, he actually wrote on his discharge, could be a possibility of an eating disorder, question mark, question mark, question mark. Mm-hmm. And so that was, and three days later, he was on a plane to um, 
uh, the Acute Center for Eating Disorders at Denver Health, which has the highest level of acuity in all the con- in all the country for eating disorders, mm. um, because he was at about sixty percent of ideal body weight to give you an idea, yeah. um, and his organ systems were starting to shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and I that's really the, that's I know- the health piece that I think people miss or that maybe people aren't um, as educated on is the health piece of eating disorders. Like that when we say that these become like lethal disorders and, you know, people literally lose their lives to this, that like it, yes. it, it is a huge component of your health. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and so I think, I think on, on number one, that level of, we need to be very careful about, about all, all these health implications, but going back to his story, it was like, I wonder if he would have been female had mm-hmm. he been, how had he would have been treated different? And so, yeah. and I see this all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like if someone's, if, if a male's in a larger body, it's all that shame and ridicule. You need to go on a diet, you know, you need to do mm-hmm. this, you need to lose weight. They, it, it doesn't come to mind that, that, that this man in front of me could be struggling with an eating disorder. So, yeah. um, I want to tell any of your listeners who who are male or identify as male that, you know what, we see you, we hear you. Um, There is help Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are very, very well educated um, about eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. um, as much as it sounds contrite coming from me, um, you know what, you you deserve to get the help that that you need. And your eating Mm -hmm. disorder is just as significant as your female, um, your female counterpart. Absolutely. And we um, we just recorded an, an episode focusing on like masculinity and the different stereotypes of masculinity and oh, yeah. how that can oh, impact, yeah. uh, you know, male mental health and also just, you know, your relationships and your dating. And, you know, I didn't even think to bring this up in that episode, but that, you know, a large part of how kind of these different stereotypes of masculinity within our society can impact, yeah. uh, you know, male eating disorders where it is such this thing to be this strong, like, you know, masculine man, like what that looks like and, um, doing everything that you can and almost that becoming, you know, the center of your focus and then developing those maladaptive coping skills and developing the binging and trying these different diets. And I've had friends who, you know, will, and are men that will fast all day and then not eat anything at work and, um, you know, even be working out and doing all that. And then, you know, come six o'clock at night, um, binging on, a large, large amounts of food and then feeling mm-hmm. very sick totally. and feeling like d- definitely some of the shame there. I don't think it's communicated, but, um, and then occasionally actually purging because it, they then feel so stuffed. Um, and I you think those it. are like small patterns to recognize even for, for females, um, just that when, you know, it may seem like you're following this diet and it may seem like, you know, you're, you're doing fasting or you're, um, you know, giving your body a break, like really it's the, that is, um, characteristic of restricting and binging and purging. Um, and Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's very interesting for me to, to think about how that, um, the pressure socially of masculinity can play a role with uh, male eating disorders. Well, and if you also think about the messages we hear, even from a young age, like I don't know if you've ever, if you've recently taken a look at action figures that that, that young boys play with. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's pretty amazing when you when you compare action figures over the years. Like I know that I mean, this is this is the year of forty for me, so I'm turning forty in October. But even like mm-hmm. comparing GI Joes from when like I I played with GI Joes with, with my friends compared to the to the present day GI Joe. I mean. They are twice the size in in, um, in muscularity. They're yeah. they're almost these upside down triangles. Like so, even these messages, these cartoons, if you will, even have like six packs like mm-hmm. on the on the guys. So it's from a very very young age. These subliminal messages that that you know our young boys are getting of this yeah. is how you should look. And I think that historically it's always been these messages of thinness for, 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 for mm-hmm. women and girls when now we're actually seeing these messages of, of these, you know, extreme, um, like, mus- like muscularity for, for mm-hmm. these boys. 
So I think, and it also plays into, it it plays into, you know, these gender roles and, Mm -hmm. and so much. And, and actually the only last thing I wanted to say is, you know, actually we are seeing really high incidence rates of eating disorders in the LGBTQ population too, like Mm -hmm. definitely in the transgender population, but Mm -hmm. even in, in, um, you know, um, the gay culture where, you know, the body premium, there's so much premium paid on the body and and what you look like and how you should be. And again, what those gender roles look like. And yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a really important point. Um, to touch on as well, Absolutely. trying to include, like you said, because eating disorders don't discriminate, like you got to include everyone in this conversation. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and helping just kind of educate a little bit more on especially binge eating disorder, which is a lot more common and um, mm-hmm. for touching on, you know, the story with, with this male that you worked with. Um, you know, I think all of this provides a different light than the last episode. And so I've really enjoyed talking to you and um, kind of re- refreshing my brain on on some of this and also just really, really appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing your story. Um, and for people who want to like get in contact with you or learn more, learn more sure. about you or um, kind of what the organization does, um, where can people find you? Absolutely. So um, we're really easy to get a hold of. Um, the the name of the organization, if you didn't catch it before, is the Alliance for Eating Disorders Awareness. Um, we are very um, easily found on, on on the interwebs, if you will, at allianceforeatingdisorders.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all over social media, um, and our handle is Alliance for EDA, Eating Disorders Awareness. Um, but more than anything, um, our, our toll-free number, which we actually have people um, that are here Monday through Friday, um, and if if someone doesn't pick up the phone, we're really good at, at, at calling back. We can find treatment anywhere in the country from outpatient care to acute medical stabilization um, according to your insurance, what you're struggling with, if um, you have any co-occurring illness. Um, we have an amazing toll-free number, which is 866-662-1235, um, 866-662-1235. Um, and we are here to help because... Mm-hmm. I just want to just reiterate one last time that if you are struggling, um, there is help. There is hope. We are here to help. Um, you know, we've, we've really seen the most unbelievable things happen. And again, despite what that, that shitty committee between your ears is saying, mm-hmm. um, there is help available even for you. Um, so please reach out to the Alliance, follow us. Um, we have some real, we always post really great articles. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're here, we're here to help in whatever way, way we can, um, but know that you're not alone. Yes. Thank you so much. And I'm going to put, um, all the resources and everything that you just listed will all be in our episode notes. Um, so if you go check out the episode awesome. description and scroll down, you can, the links to all this stuff will be there. The phone number will be there. Um, we'll also have a link to your book. Do you want to tell people about that? Definitely. Um, thank you for bringing that up. I wrote a book um, a little mm-hmm. while ago called Life Beyond Your Eating Disorder, which yeah. um, lightly touches on my struggle, but more than anything, it's filled with a bunch of tangible tools um, on on things that helped me in my journey to recovery. Um, it's a really easy read um, and I've gotten some really great feedback on it. So I hope that yeah. um, it can be helpful to you. Yeah. And even if it's, um, you know, like our, uh, one of our writers here of learning that a friend is struggling with this, you know, of sharing these resources with them, um, or just educating yourself a little bit more on it. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all of this with me and for taking the time to, to share today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much again for creating the space and time together. Um, it's been a real gift and I'm honored. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining the conversation with us today. Feel free to join the conversation even more on social media. You can find us on Instagram at let's talk about it underscore podcast. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Let us know what you're liking about the episodes and what you're taking away. Uh, You can give us a rating on there as well. And if you have a question or a topic that you feel is important or that you're struggling with, send us that in an email at ask.letstalkaboutit at 
gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. When you download the Kroger app, you have easy access to savings every day. Shop weekly sales and get personalized coupons to get the most value out of every trip, every time, whether you shop in-store or online. Download the Kroger app now to save big. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Must have a digital account to redeem offers. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 